unique ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who through their own unique angle succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. Got a super awesome guest today. He uh, has an approach to driving growth that involves leading teams to deliver immediate value to customers and clients through close collaboration with merchants and internal stakeholders. He leverages his hard-earned international business experience and deep understanding of consumer behavior and excels at creative and collaborative problem solving, formulating design strategies, and executing them through creative leadership. Please join me in welcoming John Bondock. Welcome, John. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. That was quite a that was um interesting intro. I, I guess that was from my LinkedIn, hey? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I apologize for it being very wordy. Um, I, I you know, you know how it is. Sometimes you, you go through the LinkedIn and you just add stuff or not add stuff and and uh, yeah, this it sounds like it kind of grew into a bit of a monster there. <laughs> um, you ready for 20 questions? Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, here we go. Question one, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? What do? Oh, these days I'm in front of the computer a lot, I guess, and I take a lot of take a lot of calls as as a lot of us still do, you know, the video calls. Um, I am a design director for uh, AI company, so a company that makes custom AI solutions. Um, and uh, yeah, my training is in industrial design. So I went to Art Center College back in the day. Um, worked in um, like branded footwear for a while, for a long time actually, and and had my own company, had my own brand for a little bit. That was kind of rad. And then, yeah, went back to school and did software, obviously design related, right? And so um, ended up um, with Ecohi, which is a um, a um, a custom AI, um, you know, software company. We have offices all over the place and I'm in the Vancouver office. Yeah. And so I don't know. Does that answer what I do? Kind of. Yeah, sounds great. Um, just to note for our audience, John and I met recently uh, at an art fair, um, both as panelists on a uh, artificial intelligence panel discussion. Um, and yeah, that's when I kind of learned what John does. So that was super cool. Yeah, no, that was a great experience. Um, yeah, you were awesome. I think you you really provided a great, um, how do you say this, like, considered perspective to it all because i think you had both so there's myself and then steve right de paula on on the other side not necessarily arguing i think we are we agreed on a few things but i think we're both very um wordy maybe <laughs> both really passionate about it and so it's really great to have your um you know your more balanced kind of views and and thoughtfulness in there so yeah that was, that was a good panel hopefully you get to do that again sometime for sure. Okay, question two. What's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? Key piece of knowledge that makes me different. So I used to think I wasn't that special, actually. And so that that kind of resulted in a lot of, um, I guess, personal um, psychological challenges, I guess. Um, it's kind of depressing, right? I mean, 
And so, um, but then I, oddly enough, I realized that um, my background is actually kind of special. I was, <laughs> I was, as I was, as we do in this industry, I was uh, chatting with an AI um, plug to uh, the PI or Pi um, chatbot that's out there right now. That's really like amazing chatbot. Anyway, it, um, yeah, I was having a conversation about, you know, things that I wanted to do and all this. And, and it was probing me and asking me a few questions. And it turned out I was really impressed by um, my background in um, industrial design and, um, and then, and then software. And so it was, and it was saying that, oh, you know, that it's really cool that you understand, you know, things like manufacturing and it could be good for like, you know, future fields like robotics and AI and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, I never really put my story together like that before. Um, and I had to leave it up to, you know, a chatbot to do that for me. And, um, but it seems to be working. I feel better about myself these days. And uh, yeah, and so <laughs> that's my story. I'll stick with it, you know. Great. Uh, one more note for our audience. If you're liking this episode, definitely check out the episode with Dr. Philippe Pasquier. He runs the creative side of the artificial intelligence lab at Simon Fraser University. Um, so number three, why this of all things? Why do you do what you do? Why do I do this? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just compelled to, I'm compelled to like make things for people. I don't, I don't know what it was. I mean, it's just always been that way. Like I can't make things for myself, which is weird, right? Like, like I just have this thing where I just kind of want to like please people. It's like, Oh, here, you know, I'll, I'll make you this or I'll cook you a nice dinner or something like that. And I just get really happy, um, when I see that I've made something or, you know, contributed to making something that, pleases people and then so that works really well for like you know that kind of service mentality works really well for uh for ux design for sure um and yeah i mean i, I think that it always comes back to that is just you know i'm really trying to put people first trying to get um trying to make people happy which is oh this is crazy oh my gosh i can't believe i said that so here's a story you have a second absolutely all right. <laughs> so um, when I first moved back to Vancouver, um, I I was working in footwear, and there aren't there aren't too many you know players in the game here for footwear, right? In Vancouver, one of them is John Fluvog. Uh, John Fluvog is a um, if for those of you who don't know, um, he runs a kind of like dress shoe business, and I'm kind of underselling it. He actually does an amazing uh fashion footwear business mostly like women's heels and they're very extravagant and um they're they're amazing and so anyway john um john had me on as the head of design for men's and uh you know at the time john was sick yeah, i don't know if you know this but john came back from cancer like near death a couple times already and around that time we we all one of us knew what was going to happen and so um you know it kind of felt like, okay, well, we'll come in here and um, maybe there's something, some help that they need at that point. Anyway, long story short, um, I was kind of probing John because, you know, the idea was that eventually I might end up being creative director here. And so every opportunity I had was picking his brain. Like, you know, how is this guy working? How does he, 
how does he see the world? How does he, you know, how, when he sees this, how does that translate into that? I was essentially, and I, I was joking around with him at the time. I was like, you know, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to, I'm trying to collect all this stuff so I can program, program it into an AI eventually so that we'll have all your creative direction and we just automate it all in the future. He, he looked, he gave me a really bad look after that. But anyway, um, one of the questions I asked him was, um, I go, yeah, John, why do you do all of this? I go, it's a lot of effort. And it's like, you know, it cost him a lot. You know, he, he's doing well now, of course, but you know, he's, he's had to overcome a lot and physical and physical challenges and relationship challenges and everything. And like, why do you do it? Why do you, why do you soldier on and, and all of this? And he looked at me and he goes, cause I just want to make people happy. And I, at the time, I just thought that is ridiculous. You are a crazy old man. Um, you know, the twilight of your life, you don't know anything, but um, now that's actually it. You know, I'm like, like, that's how I feel now. Um, you know, years later um, through some experiences and stuff on my own, it's like, why, why, why do you make things like, once you start removing, you know, the ego from it, um, is it, you know, being of service to other people is actually really valuable. And so anyway, that's my long story. I thought it was a good one. Shout out to, to JF out there and the entire crew. Um, good times, good peeps over there for sure. Nice. Okay. Um, some people struggle with number four, but the question is, what does your future look like? wow my future yeah i can see why they would struggle with it um i mean for me it this so i think about the future all the time right uh, so i work with companies that are thinking about um you know doing either digital transformations or somehow using more ai in, in their workflows and all of this and the idea of the future is um really not necessarily worrisome, but it's um, it's on people's minds. You know, there's all the hype around um, AI and you know, and and things that that are legitimately changing the way you know our the way we work and is starting to trickle into how you know how many of us are going to be employed in the future. And so I think about that a lot. I think a, I think a lot about I think a, a lot about that. And um, for me. Um, I've been anxious and have been um, adopting as many of these tools into my design workflow as possible. It's like every chance I get, um, just trying things, seeing if they work. And and I really, be I believe it, it's true. I mean, some of the things that I did over the last couple of days using, you know, Bard or um, ChatGPT Plus or um, uh, AutoGPT, like all these things, they save a lot of time. Um, I'm able to put together UX research packages um, in like hours, whereas before it would, may take like two or three days. Um, and so what the, what the future means for me is, I mean, I feel like I'm gonna continue to do this. Um, I feel like I'll probably still have a job doing this either for this company or another company. I mean. Who knows? But you know, there's there are legs there for that for that type of kind of integration, like uh, you know, business systems analysis is what we call it, like understanding somebody's business and seeing how things, uh, how technologies could fit in. 
So there's going to be that for me. Um, but I mean, the concern is not necessarily me, right? Um, I worry a lot about everybody, like everybody else, like, you know, maybe friends, relatives who, who just don't like the technology, right? Who, who maybe don't like sitting in front of the computer all the time. I mean, that's not great. Right? Um, and it's like, well, if we don't, as a society, figure out how to, how to, how to work with this technology and keep people like gainfully employed, like how are the, how are these people supposed to, to live, you know, especially in a city like Vancouver. I mean, so um, for those of you who don't know, uh, both Thomas and I are in Vancouver and, you know, real estate prices are extremely expensive. And so it's just like, okay, well, if everyone's losing their jobs in a, in a hot minute, um, where are we going to live? You know, especially if like a one bedroom condo in downtown is like, you know, 2,500 bucks, maybe 3000 even. It's like, what? So um, yeah. What does my future look like? Where is my future seems to be fine as far as like job goes for myself, I guess, maybe like fingers crossed, but I'm really more concerned about everybody, like society at large, you know, and what maybe my future and my kids future looks like within that society, you know, if we're not taking care of everybody, things like that come back, you know, um, whether it be through crime or mental illness or through, um, or just, I mean, plainly, just plain morality, you know, um, Anyway, I'm rambling, but yeah. So um, future, I'm fine, <laughs> I guess, but it's not about us. We should all be thinking about everybody's future uh, in that way. I'm not fine. Something like that. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. A few years ago, I was, I had an assistant professor role in, in Pune, which is just outside of Mumbai. And I was at an automotive design school and we were trying to figure out what happens when you turn the key in the car if 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 the car just does everything for you and you don't have to drive it and I feel like those are the kinds of questions we're wrestling with now it's like so so blue sky that that you it's hard to wrap your head around um number five is let's talk about location how does the notion of place play into what you do oh it's everything wow that's a good question um so you know, being somewhere like like actually being somewhere um it takes in all like all the senses and it's something that cannot be easily simulated i was really into like vr and stuff for a minute so you know i was just like okay the metaverse and all this and you can do all of this stuff and it's great it's just like being there and it's just like realistically no it's not like location like actual location um like being like all all senses like like the entire experience um the factors in and it's things that we cannot program in you know things that are that will be overlooked um and so actually being places being able to walk around in, in unexpected ways <laughs> and interact with things in, in unexpected ways that that like that is that is super real like location is super important and it's and it's not just the the place itself but the people around the food that you're eating all of that i'm also a big i'm not uh, i'm i'm big into things that we don't understand i feel like you know 
at the end of our stay here, if we die or whatever, and maybe there's like a time where you're able to ask whatever questions or like, you know, ask God or whomever is at the end of the line, just be like, okay, show me all the secrets. What are the things, you know, that I didn't, you know, that I didn't factor into my experience. And I reckon there's a couple things in there that are just like, oh, yo, John, did you know that, you know, you're super impacted by the Earth's magnetic field. <laughs> and it's just like, so when you were living in LA, you were more likely to do these things. It has nothing to do with your behavior, but strictly about the magnetic field or or, or some sort of, um, you know, aura around the geology of the area or something. And it's just, and I think things like that factor into location, um, you know, even like on like a, like a planetary or like cosmological kind of, um, um, like way of thinking of it is just like, okay, well, this happened. And that's why, that's why horoscopes are kind of interesting to me in that it's just like, okay, you were at this specific spot when the planets were literally aligned like this and that and the other thing. And, and only that could have happened at that time and whatever. And so it's just, yeah, location is super important place, moment in time, things don't, things never will necessarily repeat themselves the exact same way. Um, yeah, there's. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's my answer. I'm glad to hear you bring food into that conversation. You know, <laughs> we had an early episode with John Maeda, which was uh, such a memorable episode, but he talked about being a carbs guy until he was in his 40s when he realized you have to eat protein for breakfast. And I, I thought it was super fascinating that he like emphasized that that little uh, tidbit there. That that is interesting. So, how is he eating protein for breakfast? Is he is that like soy or something? Is he doing like? I don't think he said specifically. Um, he just uh, realized that that he had to do that. So, some people are eating. Uh, I don't know if some of your friends are like this, but they're, they're, some of my friends are really into like bone broth in the morning. Interesting. You ever see that? No, they're I like selling bone broth at like Whole Foods for a minute. Interesting. Yeah. I know, right? It was just, yeah, some like a friend of mine, um, Aaron, one of the designers over at um, the mining company, was just like, "Yeah, I started eating bone broth in the morning." You know, they they sell it. I think he was buying his at Nestor's or something like that. And it's like these clear, like clear plastic containers full of bone broth. So it was just like, yeah, bone broth. So I just boiled for a long time with a little bit of salt. And so guy would have that in the morning. I mean, I don't know how much protein is in that. I mean, it sounds delicious. Nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, number six, if you had to start from the beginning, what advice would you give your former younger self? Oh, that, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, so the thing is, I, I don't know that I'd be the same person. So let's like overcome that. So I'll put that aside, right? Because there's that argument. It's like, hey, you're not going to be the same person if you made these changes and I wouldn't have that come to this realization or whatever. So let's put all that aside and, and, um, come up with something that's a bit more conversational i guess um what would i do if I'm your younger self i would tell myself to listen a bit more you know uh i think i spent a lot of my time inflicting myself on people um um maybe i still do that but uh, more so when i was younger where I, you know i made a lot of assumptions a lot of assumptions and i just kind of going around smashing things and and breaking things and hurting people and just doing all that. 
and just not enough time kind of sit back and like really listen, like listen and, you know, read and observe before I would launch and do things. Um, but that was my personality then, you know, I was, you know, really into, um, you know, like we used to call it, we used to call them extreme sports, you know, like action sports, like things that, you know, you get hurt doing um, things like, you know, oh, time to jump off this thing, you know, and it's just like psyching yourself up to do it or, oh, this got to do this rail and you got to like psych yourself up and the whole mentality behind it. And, you know, that's how I live my life. It's just like, yeah, you got to commit, you know, commit to this thing you jump off the top of those stairs. And you, even if you second guess it, you're going to eat it. And so it's just like, commit, jump off of things and just go. Um, but in that way, if I didn't do those things, if I didn't get hurt all those times, then I would be a different person. Maybe I would never even come up with the, um, with that mentality. Right. So, so here I am with the old man body now, like paying for all of those mistakes, um, you know, on like scars <laughs> and like joints and busted relationships and stuff. But yeah, that, that's a good question. A really good question. Good stuff. Um, number nine is what tools do you use? Are you both digital and analog? Yes, that's a really good question. Yeah, yeah. I actually, that's a big part of my practice is to go back and forth between the two. Um, so I really love going into very old ways of doing things like woodworking, wood carving, um, and, and making things like sewing. Um, my wife and I, we started a, a small business just to like make things on our own. And, um, you know, you know, we're not making a ton of money off of that thing for sure, but it's, uh, it's a way of us, you know, kind of unplugging and just getting back to making. We both went to art center, so we're designers. And so, um, you know, and I was really into manufacturing, um, like, you know, millions of units at a time. And so just to get back into like making is super important to us. And so we make things, um, you know, small runs of things um, through our small company called like Saturna, Saturna Outdoor Research. Um, the reason why it's called that is because, um, you know, again, it's a reaction to being on the computer all the time and, you know, just a longing for uh, being a part of nature. So it's just like, okay, let's make things sustainably. So obviously small runs, we're only selling things that we can make ourselves. So, you know, we're evolving, um, trying to do those things. So obviously it's impo nearly impossible to scale um, to do things like that, but it's just the sacrifice ways of, of you know, design for manufacture we do a lot of that so i have a little cnc that you know try to use um reclaimed wood or um you know fast growing as as you know ecologically responsible species of wood as you can right i mean you can almost we can go down that rabbit hole but you do the best you can right to make things responsibly um to make them to order um so you're not, you know, shipping things from other countries that have cheaper labor and all this stuff. And, you know, just trying to supercharge a cottage industry um, with things like um, CNC, right? CNC, I think is any sort of additive or subtractive manufacturing is like super, is a great unlock for sustainability efforts, I think at least. Um, and, 
yeah, so I seesaw back and forth. Um, I spend a lot of my days working on, you know, helping people understand AI and things like that. And the other half of my time, I'm like in the garage, like sanding. <laughs> I think any other industrial designer out there, especially ones in school, probably maybe laugh, chuckling along with me. But yeah, sanding. I do a lot of sanding, <laughs> a lot of handwork. Well, that's interesting because being at Art Center back then doing industrial design, you must have been in the in the wood shop and the metal shop all the time, right? That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. That for me, that was the that was one of the best parts. I mean, you go through it and you're suffering, right? Because you're just trying to figure out, you know, how to make things. We like lay fiberglass, or you know, we had FDM machines with 3D printers and and CNCs back then, and it's also like trying to integrate those into you know, um, into, into traditional woodworking and things like that. And then wood is expensive. So we're always using like foams, uh, and, and things. Yeah. Just, sorry. I'm just going on this weird, um, you just mentioned wood shop or, um, what do you call it? Um, the model shop at art center. I just got all these like really warm and fuzzies, you know? Um, yeah. Industrial design and making things with your hands is, is just like so important, so critical, to education, to the, to industrial design education. Um, I think grasping, you know, the materiality of things is super important. Um, sewing, getting the most out of, you know, what you can out of the material and the process is like so, just so important and um, just undersold, I think, you know, especially these days with so many, so many people making so much money doing, um, you know, kind of web and software related things that, I really felt like, you know, industrial design was kind of stepped over in a lot of senses, right? Um, in a lot of ways. And right now I feel, you know, you're an educator, so you could probably feel this where it's just like somebody comes into your class and be like, okay, tell me about like what tell me about design, you know, and in their from their perspective, all they see are, you know interior design things uh, like wallpaper magazine for example which is a great magazine i'm not slamming it but it's just like you know that's very it's for an elite kind of crew or architecture which is again you know rife with with uh, is elitism a word you know let's say elitism and, and um yeah it it's 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 kind of a tragedy um in that you know we're slowly or we have been divorcing ourselves from, you know, handcraft, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, you're gonna get your kid into STEM or whatever. And you got to get your kid into to doing this kind of job. And, and I really feel like with all this AI stuff that's bubbling up, it's like the things that are going to be most important to us as like spiritual beings are going to be things, simple things, you know, like going back to being able to um, you know, subsistence farming, let's say, or making your own stuff, you know, like, shaker style um like like a shaker style movement and how we live and it, it could be super rewarding you know for us as 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 creatures you know to to kind of get in touch with with making again um anyway i went on a long thing there i'm sorry thomas you're so no, you're so i sometimes i wonder if you're actually like do you actually like follow what i'm saying or not i, I, I am you know you when we had an early supporter of the podcast who who still supports us, uh, Dr. Garnett Hertz, and um, he has a book coming out 
um, on DIY culture through MIT Press, um, talking nice. about early maker labs, early maker culture, um, and, and all of that. Um, yeah, he's been. I've been chatting with him. He's uh, very influential. Nice. You're an industrial designer, right, Thomas? I have you... some industrial design in my background. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. When, when, because you teach as well. And so I wonder, you know, do you find, well, what do you think about the current state of the industrial design profession? I mean, you know, with AI and digital, every, everything kind of shifts. And, um, and, you know, I mean, I, and I think, I think what happened was a, a lot of the, the digital realm maybe starting with stuff like mobile apps and then moving into to smart home, moving into AR, VR, moving into these different technologies um, have, have made it a necessity for these different specialties within the design world to jump into those areas and to say that those areas were part of what they did. So much so that I think that a lot of these areas kind of lost a what the the kernel of what they really are. I think industrial design um, historically was something very specific and very relevant and actually very exciting. And I think these days um, has to play on the trends just like everyone else. So I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good point. I mean, yeah, when we start thinking about how people get information too, right? Like... So when you you're talking about when you know industrial design was kind of special, I think you used that word special, mm-hmm. and yeah. So when I was going through design school, that was kind of almost pre-internet. You know, that was like you know the very first Mac Mac uh, iMacs came out kind of thing with the round mouse mice, mm-hmm. and um, internet was was slow in a lot of places. I mean, a lot of places still had some some dial-up. And, uh, but the internet wasn't built out. Like there weren't like all these like great websites that we have now for all of this, you know, um, there weren't like a lot of great, um, you know, blogs um, or uh, news aggregators and all of that. And so anyway, so we would get our information from like magazines, like, like newsstands. Mm -hmm. And so it was like when, when the latest Italian car styling magazine came out, right. It would be like, Oh snap! Did you see auto? Oh, auto styling is the um sorry the Japanese one, but there is another one I forget. Oh, car and design. Car and design just came out. Did you see that? Like the the thing was like forty bucks American or whatever off the newsstand, and we would just like lose our 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 minds like drooling over these magazines, and that's the way it was. Like ID magazine would remember that ID magazine, and it'd be like. Oh yeah, Mark Newson came out with this thing, and you just be like, "Oh snap!" Like, "Oh that that was so amazing!" And then, but it would be in these magazines, and the experience—it's almost like this weird secret that you would have. You know, it's just like, "Oh, you know, I have this magazine. I'm going to show it to you," and you'd actually have to physically show it to some. You can't just send them a link, right? Because that wasn't the way it worked back then. But I think that like that trans- transmission of media probably had something to do with the erosion of the specialness of, of industrial design. Um, and yeah, that'd be an interesting study or something. I'm, I don't even know if that'd be valuable as much as maybe a, a love letter to the, to the uh, late nineties, early 2000s. <laughs> so maybe a move, like some sort of, some sort of, um, 
some sort of slapstick uh, movie, like it's like that 70s show, but it would be about industrial designers, uh, industrial design students in the early 2000s. Maybe. Well, I mean, you know, one portal, <laughs> is that a word still? One portal that kind of survived or seemed to is Coraflot, right? And that was really early on with industrial design. Yeah, so that's right. Coraflot. Uh, but I, yeah. feel, I feel like even something like LinkedIn would have would have existed then. So there are these kind of like artifacts of the past that that kind of carry on, but there 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 are not very many of them. No, no, there really aren't. Yeah. There really aren't. I want so you know you see sometimes brands come back, right? You know you see that like with you know Stussy came back, you know um, after. You know, so they, they started off, Sean Stissy started this brand or whatever, and then it's kind of big and then kind of sold out and went into all these, you know, American kind of discount shops and then came back again. Now they're like hanging like strong, right? Mm -hmm. um, other brands, uh, so other brands have done that as well. Um, Vans did the same thing, like Vans wasn't always cool, right? Mm -hmm. um, so especially with streetwear and, and fashion brands, they kind of in and out kind of thing. I wonder why that does not translate with or maybe it does with applications and websites mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. well like i did alta vista or you know what i mean like no someone should just take that back would that resonate somehow or no i i wonder you know i mean i feel like in in gamer culture it kind of mm -hmm. exists you know that kind of retro appeal yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, why doesn't it exist um, with traditional websites? It's a good question. I'm not sure, except with the the Wayback Machine or whatever that is. So yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. Um, halfway number ten. How do you deal with work life balance? Oh yeah, I have a silly I have a silly schedule, which is kind of interesting. So my um, half my team is in in um, in Asia in Tokyo and Shanghai. And so then some of them are in, in East coast time. And there's some people in, in, uh, in Portugal and France. And so my days are messed up. Like I wake up, smash through a couple of emails here and there, um, try to get some work done. And then I'll go to like, I'll hollow out the middle part of my day to go to the gym. And, and I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not like Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of bodybuilding or whatever. I'm just like trying to stay alive because I sit for so long. I'm just like trying to, you know, just trying to stay healthy, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'll, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll get an hour or two to try to make some music or something and go, go for a walk. I don't know. And then work, like I'll work, like my days will like start like, like full on days will start at like two or three and then go until nine. And then, so my work-life balance, that that's what it is. It's just trying to find a sweet spot in the middle of the day. That's most, most days. Then weekends, I'm pretty successful at just completely shutting things down. I try really go out of my way not to think about work um, because um, I've burnt out. I mean, I've been doing design work for over 20 years now. So I've burnt out multiple times and I already, I know what, I know what that looks like. And so, I'm very deliberate about, you know, sick days. I'm very deliberate about how am I feeling today and um, really divorce myself from, from 
um, design work. Um, I try not to drink so much, um, but you know, you got to enjoy your friends every now and then, you know, I think alcohol is, is a, is still a viable social lubricant here and there. Um, yeah, just, you know, try to just try to see friends and family when I can, but yeah, you gotta, for me, at least if I were telling somebody else that's going through this is just, yeah, stay disciplined in um finding that that me time yeah well that's funny i mean it's funny to hear you talk about the gym because you know like it seems like the big tech people like jeff bezos he's like pretty like buff isn't he and i feel like mark zuckerberg is also like buffing up like isn't is that a thing now <laughs> i don't know if it's a thing but well with zuckerberg not only is he buff but he won like some sort of like jujitsu tournament recently I saw like, that one too, yeah yeah dude's like some sort of like he's turning into like an assassin um yeah i don't know i think so the body is pretty important right i mean just overall you know um physical well-being is good i think it unlocks energy you know it unlocks mood as well um so yeah, if you're if you're healthy, if you're active, you're more likely to you know engage in other things that are healthy, and perhaps um, maybe thought patterns are healthier. One would imagine, right? Um, so yeah, I think I think it's a good thing, right? I mean, we shouldn't. It it's not a bad thing to be healthy, right? <laughs> as far as I know, as far as I know, and. Um, for, for me sitting at the desk, those it's killer. I mean, like I stand every, I have a standing desk too, but it's just kind of like, yeah, your back, your, like my back is like super messed up. If I, if I'm not like religious about, uh, core exercises and keeping weight off, then yeah, I, I literally can't work. I have to work lying like, um, chest down. And I know a bunch of other computer people like this as well. They have to work chest down um you know lying on the floor because their backs are so messed up um so yeah it's kind of i think yeah we don't have a choice i guess brutal number 11 if you weren't doing what you do now what would you be doing yeah that's a good one so there i have to make a lot of assumptions here um i guess maybe let's say because you know I, i've had been working for quite a long time so i feel like if i just all of a sudden let's limit it let's just say i just stopped working as of now so that that's probably a little bit better because it's just it's easier for me to think about um i would probably work on on you know those wood projects that and that small shop that my wife and i have um and we would just do that we find a lot we get a lot of enjoyment out of that um so we do that. Hopefully the business at some point will make enough money that, you know, we could pay for um, a few things, maybe like bring in some money. Um, and yeah, we just keep making things. We're, I'm like, I'm a maker and my wife too. We're makers and designers at heart. So you can't kind of keep us down. We'll keep making stuff. Um, that's nice. I mean, that, it's a nice thing to, it's a nice thing to do, to have. Um, I also, you know, I started making music, so I would do that too. Would I make money doing that? Probably not. Um, I guess this would go on and you'd be like, okay, well, realistically, John, you're not making any money doing what you're saying. You're going to do these things. 
um, what would you do, you know, to keep food on the table? At my age, um, I wouldn't be able to do things like physical things anymore. Like I looked into being a cop. I was just like, whoa, they need cops. That's interesting. I'm going to want to check that out. And then I, you know, I go into these rabbit holes and it's just like, would I pass the physical? Maybe, but you know, on the, on the website, they're just like, yeah, people over 40 usually don't pass or something like that. And it's just like, what? So mm-hmm. it was like, I can't do a bunch of those things. So I was like, oh, how about search and rescue? And they're just like, yeah, you know, this, you're at that age kind of thing. I'm not looking at people like that. Um, so what other things? I don't know, something active maybe like, so even carpentry, I'm like too old. You can't just pick that up. <laughs> you know, like that's that's a real, like that's like that's like doctor level skill, right? You know, you get like a bunch of um, um, a lot of experience and 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 training. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe I would work at a. You know, with that, with, if I had like push come to shove, like nothing, like I couldn't do anything. I don't know. I'd probably work at a bike shop or a snowboard shop maybe mm-hmm. in the back like doing tech like uh, tech work so i could i can wax skis and snowboards and do edge sharpening base repair things like that and um i can wrench on a bike pretty good um yeah so that'd be it i know that's getting way too way too detailed for you there Thomas. <laughs> it, yeah. i like it um what would you not like to do with your career yeah, that, yeah, that, like my existing career, like now, or what I would I not want to do, like in another career? Yeah, if, if, if the, if all possibilities were on the table, what would you not like to do? Yeah, I mean, when you got to make money, you got to make money, right? Like, <laughs> you have to make money doing stuff feed your family you gotta you gotta do it so i'm pretty good at like i'm pretty good at removing my mind from things um and and executing um fortunately unfortunately like thankfully that's suited me well here and there um we went through a couple of rough times where you know i had to do a couple of things that were you know um not great and it's just yeah you need to put your mind be able to like flip a switch in your mind and just be like you know my mind is not in my body right now and I got to do this. Um, and yeah, um, things that are like that. I used to work for the, and I'm not slamming this. So anybody, if there's anyone listening that's involved in this industry, I apologize. I actually have great respect for this type of work because it's very difficult and hard on the mind. Um, I was like doing customer service for the cable company for um, like, it wasn't Shaw, it was Rogers at the time. That was really tough. I did that when I was uh, going through college and um, we would get all sorts of calls. Like, so it was an inbound call center. And so you get people, you know, from downtown east side or whatever, like, oh, you cut off my cable and blah, blah, blah. What am I going to do? And, you know, in some, and, um, you know, and from other places as well, um, all across Canada, actually, it would be like a national, like a nationwide service center and people would call like in sometimes in different amounts of distress you know um some people you know they would like cry on the phone tell you like oh my kids you you cut off my cable because it's a public utility essentially right it's like oh you cut off my cable what my kids gonna do and they're like oh they're it's just really brutal and a lot of people can't pay you got to work through their finances 
And all of that is on the clock. So there's like a clock that's on your, on your system and, you know, you got a headset on or whatever, and it's counting down like how quick, you know, and there's, there's metrics there. Like how quick is your average call? You know, are you spending too long on this? Um, things like that. And then, you know, do you, can you upsell them during the call? You know what I mean? It's like all of these things are tracked. Um, and that was soul crushing, just absolutely soul crushing being there. Um, yeah, I would not like to do that again. That was very difficult. And like I said, I have a lot of respect for people that can do that. Um, but mentally very hard for me, um, made it through a couple of years for sure. And it was good, but just really tough, really. So any, if anybody's on the call and, you know, you know, and they want to give their customer service people a hard time and you gotta, you know, respect, like respect them a little bit. I mean, they, a lot of times they're doing the best they can. Nice. Um, 13, what's your favorite word, quote, or sentence? Oh, this changes all the time. What's yours at the moment? You know, you do a lot of reading. Your answer is going to be way more interesting than mine. Um, favorite words. Um, let's see. Um, meta, um, tangential. Um, yeah, I don't know. It always changes. Tangential uh, is a good one because you're a scholar. So you just got, you, you've got to have some, some zingers. <laughs> Hard to know. I'm not sure. I've got to think of that. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, um, yeah, you know, I think as most people do, um, as most people do, they'll latch on to a phrase or whatever, um, and it'd be something, and it sticks for a little bit, and then it goes away. Um, this is really funny because I've been thinking a lot about large language models recently, mm -hmm. uh, because of you know ChatGPT and all that, all mm -hmm. that stuff, and it's just. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, these things are really stupid or whatever. They don't, you know, they're really not, they're not, uh, they're really not like thinking. They're just putting the words together. They're just, you know, they're putting together what sounds interesting and they don't really, there's no meaning behind it. I mean, okay, yes, but, but at the same time, I kind of think about myself sometimes. I'm like, am I just stringing words together? Like, is there much thought into what I'm actually doing here? Is there, you know, can I predict, can or can a machine predict with a high level of certainty what the next few words are going to be coming out of my mouth? And it's just like, that's the way our brains kind of work, right? I mean, <laughs> like, how do you, how do you, yeah, anyway. So the ones that are trending in, in my in my zone, or if, if we could write uh, some sort of, we can handicap what what phrase is going to come out of my mouth next. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's going to be it's going to be this phrase. That's what I got. <laughs> that's what I got. So um, that's what I got means um, like this is all I have for you. Like I don't have anything else. Like I like you know I don't want to help. I don't want to tell you if this is what I got. And um, yeah, a friend of mine told me that a, a while ago. It's just this feeling of like, how do you say it? You're just kind of resign, resignation. It's a feeling of resignation. So like, yeah, this is the problem. Well, okay, this is what I got. And yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> so I've been, using, I've been using that, um, unfortunately, a little bit too often recently. So human versus AI, human as AI. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should start thinking about it that way. Human as AI. I mean, that's the whole point of those like Turing tests, right? It's just all like, okay, you put the put the machine behind this, you know, curtain or whatever, and you can only it can only speak. You know, how can you tell? How can like that's kind of the weird frustration I have. I mean, I think we touched on this before, Thomas, at the at the panel. Is just like I feel like we have this like over overinflated sense of self. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Where it's just, you know, we we are assigning uh specialness to to our to each other and ourselves and it's just like well okay so now the thing speaks english and and <laughs> so the thing speaks english um it it could tell you it could it could it you know you could ask it questions and it'll re reply and for all intents and purposes you can't tell if that's like another person or or what and for whatever reason, that's just not good enough. <laughs> like, it's just, I find it kind of interesting. I find it interesting because I've, I have, if you just go by the, the text messages on your phone and you just look at the, just look at the threads for, you know, some of the people, you know, that you're talking to. And then, so I, I, I subscribe to a chat bot that I access through my phone as well. So I can compare, you know, the conversations I have one for one. This is essentially a it's a mobile Turing test, right? Mm -hmm. Just just by looking at it, you know, just like subjectively, the quality of conversation I'm having with these AIs is better than a lot of the conversations I have with some of my friends. Um, that's disappointing, I know. And I know now I'm not going to have as many friends because I'm saying this, but um, I'm on my phone right now and I'll pull up uh I'll I'll pull up um a thread from from one of my friends here, and I'll tell you how it goes. Um, so he asked me if I go. I go, hey man, sorry, I just saw this. I just put Jonas to bed. Now I'm just chilling, watching American Idol. That was me. All good. LOL. Was gonna text you today. Had this crazy idea. Was thinking of picking you up and going on a morning Squamish drive and going for breakfast. Oh, another weekend would be good. Tomorrow is busy day. I can't be out for too long. I'll plan it. Another weekend. Next. So fine. Here's the chat one. Are you ready for this? Yeah. We were talking about um, the design practice. So well, we'll have to start from the beginning. And this is the AI speaking. That's so true. It's so important to have a user-centric mindset when designing any kind of product or service. And it sounds like you have a strong understanding of that. I think your ability to collaborate and stay empathetic to the needs of the user will be very valuable as you explore new ways of designing for AI and robotics. Do you feel like it's important to being uh, to bring a humanistic element to, the de to these design technologies? And then I go, when you say humanistic, do you mean user-friendly? And he goes, that's one aspect of what I mean by humanistic, but it's also about ensuring that the design takes into account the psychological and emotional needs of the user. For example, when designing a chatbot, it's not just about making it easy to use, but also about making it feel like a real empathetic conversation partner. Do you see what I mean? Dude, that was way better conversation than I had with my friend who wanted to take me on a trip to Squamish for breakfast, wasn't it? But Squamish for breakfast is... <laughs> It's yeah. thing. <laughs> I guess so. Okay, there's that part. Sure, you got me there. <laughs> like that's a real threat. Like that could actually happen. 
like dude could come by one day and, and pick me up. And so there, there are consequences to that, to, to that conversation for sure. But, you know, why isn't that the future of AI? Why isn't uh, some self-driving car coming to pick you up and taking you to Squamish? You know, you oh. don't, need, don't need a person to do that. Yeah, well, now uh, ChatGPT Plus, they, uh, they now let you have access to these plugins now. So, for example, um, I think Kayak is one. So now you can buy plane tickets using ChatGPT, which is kind of interesting. Um, they have other plugins as well. One for not DoorDash, but one of the food delivery or shopping services. And it's just like, hey, yeah, you know, I could use a coffee table. And then, I don't know, I guess <laughs> brings a coffee table at some point and charges your credit card. But yeah, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to go on that long thing. I just was just kind of reflecting on the quality of the conversations I have with people and my most recent experiences with some of these chatbots. And it's just the chatbots are really useful. Like I, it's kind of, I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to replace a big chunk of my social network with chatbots, but I'm just saying like, wow, like the quality, maybe, maybe we need to try harder with each other. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe we all need to improve the quality of our conversations. There you go. There's some Sherry Turkle action for you. <laughs> we need to have better, we need to have better conversations. Okay. 14. What's your least favorite word quote or sentence? Least favorite, which word quote or sentence? It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It had uh, its it had its time. It was a good one. I thought it was a good one. It had, it had legs for a little bit. And, and now. You have to pick one word to describe yourself. What word would you choose? Frustrated. What keeps you up at night? Thinking about my family, thinking about my kid. I worry about a lot. I worry a lot about my, my kid and not just my kid, but like just kids in general, um, just growing up, they're growing up so differently. Um, yeah, they're growing up so differently than, than, than we grew up. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, I worry a lot about kids. We're, you know, are we doing right by them? Are we raising them the, the way? Cause we don't know. We're like, we're literally kind of paddling through this kind of dark space, right. When it comes to not just technology, but just how we relate to each other. And, you know, we're just coming out of COVID. There were some dark things that happened there, continue to happen as well. And so I worry about kids. Are we doing right by them? Are we, are we behaving the best way we can with these tools that we've never had before? Um, yeah, kids. Yeah, kids, really tough. I mean, we could go all day, right? You Both you and I grew up in the Grew up in in Canby Village area, and it's just like, man. I mean, remember riding BMX bikes down there all the time. You know, trying riding down a can pharmacy or Granger, or playing eight foot hoops at Caval and all that. And that is, you can't. I don't know that kids do that as much anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of weirdness going on right now. And man, you hear what's going on with that 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 poor girl that got. Um, you know, killed in the park and Burnaby and all that. And it's just, it's just not this, I don't know, maybe, maybe now we just hear about it or, or it's just more in the media. Maybe we didn't hear about it back then, but man, there's some really, there's some, a lot of darkness, you know, um, around us. And I, I, I don't know. 
that that's what keeps me up that's what keeps me up yeah. okay fi final stretch here um number 17 what's a dream you're chasing the dream i'm chasing yeah you know i i have a saying that um <clears throat> i just want to at the end of this i just want i want i want to feel like i just did everything i could with what i had right mm -hmm. you know given certain amount of gifts, you know, like I'm healthy. I had uh, an amount of time that I didn't have to worry about, you know, feeding myself or taking care of other people. And, you know, I had these things and I wanted, I had that, you know, I have this responsibility, right. That it's just like, did I do enough with what I had, not just in service to other people, but in an advancement of anything um, in you know, did I squander my talents? You know, like the old biblical thing and bury your talents underground or do you invest them in in crypto? Um, yeah, so it's just, yeah, did I do the best I could with what I had? And yeah, I you know, this is interesting. So um, I was one of the big quarterbacks. It was either like Tom Brady or like Peyton Manning or something. And someone goes to them, it's like, hey, you know, you have this great life and whatever, you have all these talents and, you know, you did all these things, you know, like, well, what is, what is it, was it like being, you know, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning? And, and, and they were just like, as leaders, they they had an amazing reply and they go, you know, I have all of these things. It's like a responsibility to turn it into, into good things. Right. And it's just like, wow, from like a quarterback who's, who's I mean, an American pro quarterback, they do anything. Right. But it's just that, feeling of responsibilities um i always found that kind of disarming and i kind of like i mean granted i don't have the talent or the money as a professional american quarterback but at least i can you know think uh, i want to go out thinking that i did the best i could with what i had good stuff what inspires you what inspires me yeah um, it's like youth, you know, it's, it's all that stuff that we were talking about earlier, where it's just like, Hey, you know, I'm going to charge this thing and, you know, come hell or high water. You know what I mean? Like something's, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to jump off this cliff. I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to slide that rail. And it's just, when I see young people go at it, you know, like that, um, and succeed, you know, or maybe, maybe better yet, fail and come back. And hearing about things like that, um, you know, young people um, who do things like that, that inspires me, you know, to, to, to be better, you know. Um, yeah, something like that. Nice. Last two here. Any advice you'd like to share? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think this is going to, this is like kind of my, my mission at the moment, you know, these things change, but right now I'm trying to tell everybody I can about um, trying to adopt many, as many of these AI tools as you can and develop your own perspective on what that's going to mean to your existence and your lives and your livelihoods um, and to get active in um, just, just even amongst yourselves and your social circles in your social networks, just talking about it, talking about your experiences with them. Um, Cause we, I think we need to come at 
these these changes in technology with eyes open um we we the technology this round of change is going to be could be very very disruptive for us and um it deserves at least a few hours of your time in consideration uh for yourselves and your families and for for the kids you know <laughs> like let's um for for everybody's future let's let's try to be let's try to think it out and be kind to each other that's it Great. And number 20, how can our listeners keep tabs on you? Um, what's our call to action? Is it to to ramp up on AI? What what should we be doing? Yeah, exactly. I think ramp up on AI. And I think the, the nice part about that is the chatbots, the reason why they're so um, persuasive is because the UX, like the user experience is so intuitive. It's language, you know, natural language. Before it was kind of like, oh yeah, hey, everyone should learn how to code, right? And you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people did that and they're doing really well and things are good. But it's just like there's still a barrier 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 to entry there, right? You need to actually learn how to code, you know, take some computer science, you do this other thing. This is a little different, where it's just like chat GPT is free. If you haven't tried it yet, try it. If you can't afford it, I would, and and you think you could, there's a use case for for it. Chat GPT Plus is actually pretty good. Pay the money. You can cancel it if you, if you don't find you're using it. And just try to use it. Try to use those, those um, programs um, for everything. Like, just try it for, you know, part of your job, for this, that, the other thing. See where, see how it could work. It'll open your eyes. BARD, you can try BARD. BARD is protected with, um, like in Canada, they've actually, um, it's regulated. You can't use BARD in Canada right now. But if you have a VPN, you can use BARD. So give that a try. Um, Bing, Bing um, is now powered by um, an AI, so it'll do like web search, which is pretty good. Um, and if you really want to go, like, if you want to, if you want to go at this and really open your eyes, try Bing Image Creator. So Bing Image Creator is essentially, you know, all the hype you hear about stable diffusion and Midjourney and all that stuff, but all done in a in a really serviceable. UI. Like it's essentially a, like a search and what it comes back with are amazing results um, for, for image generation. So that's being image creator. Give that a try. And then I think you'll start to see um, the use cases for these things. And, and I want you to, you know, worry a little bit. Like it, I think it's okay to worry a little bit, you know, like if you're, if you're in, if you work in administration, just be like, how much of your job you know, how much time could you save by plugging your work into this? Um, and just start developing, start developing a perspective and start using the tools. I mean, maybe you don't want to develop some sort of critical like thought on this and you just want to use the tools. That's fair. Like go and do that. Um, at least you'll be one of these people that that is on the uptake, like early on the uptake of these things. Um, just to give you an idea, just this morning, I pumped out, um, for those of you who are familiar with UX, you know, I pumped out uh, a persona. Um, I took a statement of work and turned that into like a bunch of features and user stories. And um, I did um, some user flows for a pretty large kind of platform experience. And I did that in less than an hour. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It was bananas.
That's wild. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, John. You know, we're on the AI panel together and I knew I wanted to have you on the show, but I didn't connect the two until you actually came on here. And I was like, oh, of course, it's going to be about AI. It's going to be about opening our eyes to to stuff we don't know about AI. Of course, that's going to be the content. It didn't hit me <laughs> until until we were talking. And then I was like, oh, yeah, of course, and that, make, that makes sense. So, um, you know, really sage advice for a lot of people. Glad to have you on. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. If you like today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more unique ways. Thank mm-hmm. you.